You're very welcome back to On The Record. Kieran Cuddy with you until one o'clock today. Now, many of you will have seen or heard some of the coverage over the last week or so following the retirement of Mesut Ozil from international football. Scored yesterday, actually, playing for Arsenal in one of their uh, warm-up games for the new season. Uh, he has hung up his boots, though, internationally. He played 92 times for Germany. He released a statement that is probably best summed up by one line contained therein. When we win, I am German. When we lose, I am Turkish. It has led to a a questioning of the nature of national identity in Germany. And this at a time, of course, when nationalism and populism take hold across Europe, including parts of Germany, most specifically probably in, in what we'd call East Germany, Old East Germany. To examine these questions in a little more detail, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by Dr. Mark Jones, who's a historian in UCD, currently based in Berlin. Mark, you're very welcome to the programme. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, what, what has been the, I suppose, before we get into the real questions about identity, what has just been the reaction in, in Germany to, to Mesut Ozil's statement? Um, I think it's fair to say it's been massive. It's been a week-long debate. Um, all, all major public figures have chipped in, have have made, uh, have given statements. Uh, apart from the German coach Yogi Love, who's on holidays, um, but other than that, you know, starting with Angela Merkel, several members of her cabinet, and um, political and cultural figures, they've all issued statements, all made, all issued comments. There's been a heated debate. Um, and then there's been a re- reaction um, from ordinary members of the public and a reaction from below. Um, later on in the second half of the week, the Ozil debate has launched a social media uh, campaign uh, with people tweeting under the hashtag of Me Too. Uh, like um, the Me Too, uh, better known Me Too um, uh, hashtag um, about feminism, this one has been about racism in Germany where ordinary people have have told their stories of how they've been um, victims or suffered from racism um, while growing up in Germany as Germans with a background and uh, a migration background. And in the same way, I suppose, as people maybe were taken aback at the, at the level of abuse that had proliferated that, that, that we learned about with the Me Too campaign, has it been the same in Germany? Has there been surprise amongst people at, at the level of racism some people have been exposed to? Yeah, I think I think Germany doesn't do the accusation that Germany has uh, elements of racism in its society well, and the reason for that's historical. You know, Germany um, is very proud of the idea that it has come to terms with its past and that it has moved on beyond national socialism and that it is a liberal, tolerant uh, democracy that's open to people from all over the world. And in some ways, it it should be proud of this, right? Because there are large sections of German society which do stand up for all of these values. Mm. Um, but they don't like it when someone comes along like Ozil and says, I'm I'm uh, German when we win, but Turkish when we lose. And then when that's followed up by many more people talking about uh, experiences of racism. And so some commentators on the right, uh, you know, one author in Der Spiegel, others in, in the Springer Press and, and connected to the right wing, uh, the tabloid newspaper, The Build, they have actually responded by mocking these um, um, points about racism on online and so that that has actually added a bit of um added yet more heat to what was an already heated debate did did Mesut Ozil have a point you know I suppose maybe this is something that is difficult for people within Germany but say from your point of view maybe uh, who probably can take maybe a more neutral or unbiased look at this does he have a point in what he said um, he does have a point, but he also, uh, Mesut Ozil is not an entirely innocent figure. It's very important to remember that um, the picture that he and um, Ilkay Gundogan took 
with Erdogan was taken was taken in the context of a Turkish election campaign. Uh, and Erdogan was not just trying to be re-elected as uh, president. He was also looking to extend the powers of the presidency. Yeah, we should just remind uh, people maybe who who aren't aware of this, that this was a photo during the last, as you said, Turkish presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was there was some degree of controversy about rallies that were held actually by Erdogan in in parts of Europe where there is large Turkish populations. Mm-hmm. And as you said, uh, Mesut Ozil and another player, Gundogan, uh, Featured in a really a kind of a press photo for him. Well, it's a, it's a, it's, it was a, it was a vote getter for for yeah. um, you know for Erdogan in among the the German Turkish community. Like it's important to remember that um, Turkish citizens in Germany have the right to vote in those elections, and that was a tightly fought election. Um, so those ger- the the German votes actually mattered for the outcome, or could have mattered for the outcome of the uh, of the election, and so getting the. Uh, Turkish Germans to vote for Erdogan was something that Erdogan's people needed to do. You know, it's interesting to, if you contrast Turkish migrants to the United States, they vote overwhelmingly against Erdogan, whereas those in Germany vote overwhelmingly for him. And this um, taps into kind of a feeling in Germany that the Turkish German population, some of whom only have German citizenship, uh, are not loyal to the ideals and, uh, and of the German constitution. So that's kind of been one of the what was that was one of the, the background factors which made Ozil extremely unpopular. And to put it in the context of deteriorating relations between Germany and Turkey, it's worth remembering that Erdogan in prisons has imprisoned many journalists in Turkey. One of those uh, is a man called Denis Yutsel, who was a journalist at the Welt newspaper, which is a, a tabloid. I'm sorry, not a tabloid, a broadsheet newspaper run by the the Springer Group in Germany. The Springer Group also run the Bild Zeitung. Right. So one of their journalists was arrested and imprisoned for over a year without trial. And this is the background to the picture with Erdogan, why it, why it rubbed people off in the press so much is because one of their colleagues was actually imprisoned for a whole year, with, with longer than a year without trial. And while he was in prison, the Welt newspaper ran a campaign saying free Denitz, you know, free, free him. This is a man who's a German citizen who's under detained in Turkey. Uh, he was released. And a few weeks later, after he was finally released, uh, Ozil and Gundogan turn up in a picture with Erdogan, the man who's resp- who they see as being responsible for his imprisonment. You can see why journalists in that newspaper group would then in turn turn against Ozil and start a campaign against him, which started really before the World Cup. And had the World Cup gone better for Germany, the story might have changed. But instead, as we know, the World Cup didn't go well for Germany. And and so Ozil became came into the focus of attention. And this is the point where he does have a point to make. You know, Germany got didn't make it through the group stages of a, of a World Cup, which for a country with the football expectations mm. of Germany is simply unacceptable. And um, I don't think in living memory, certainly, there's ever been a Germany coach who's not gotten out of the group stages of a major tournament and not immediately lost, the, lost their position. Uh, Yogi Love, the Germany, current Germany coach, he got a contract extension from Reinhard Grindel, the German Football Association president, before the World Cup actually took place. And it's important, he already had a contract until 2020. So he was given a contract extension until 2022, going into a World Cup, which he then didn't get out of the group stages. So a lot of people are saying he should he should go, um, but getting rid of him would obviously cost an awful lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of money, a lot of compensation. And so Grindel looks pretty bad in this situation. Love looks pretty bad in this situation. And Oliver Bierhoff, the team manager, 
um, which is an important role in Germany. You know, the, there's, the, there's the coach and the manager yeah. of the national team. Uh, Oliver Bierhoff also looked pretty badly. And in the aftermath of the World Cup, Bierhoff uh, insinuated that the, the debate and the fallout of the Ozil picture, Oselgate, if we want, was one of the reasons why they didn't do well in the World Cup. Now, uh, Ozil, in this sense, was right to come out and say, uh, I've been hung out like a scape- scapegoat here. I'm being made responsible for uh, the failure of a whole group of people. And and that's not fair. And then when he said, you know, um, I'm German when we win, but I'm Turkish when we lose. I think a lot of the responses that we've seen uh, from people of a similar identity backgrounds to Ozil in Germany during the week have suggested that he, he does have a point. He is a symbol for for a certain kind of acceptable immigration. In other words, when when the migrant or when someone um, Ozil himself was born in Germany, you know, he, he was I think he was 18 before he was first in Turkey and. Um, you know, when they are an excellent contributor, when they, you know, excel at what they do, they can become integrated and become accepted yeah. as one of us. But when they fail or when they make a mistake, they're immediately then branded as being the, the outsider. To what extent, and, and national identity and questions around it, I suppose, are to the fore uh, right across Europe in ways they haven't been in a long time. To what extent have those issues uh, and questions of, of identity been shaped or have the discussions about them been shaped in Germany by the post-war atmosphere? Um, I think, you know, in Germany for a long time, there wasn't a question about uh, identity and integration. I think, you know, um, West Germany saw its Turkish migrants as uh, what they called Gastarbeiter, you know, guest workers is the literal translation of that term. And the idea was that once they had, you know, in the in the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s, once they had, uh, you know, come to Germany, participate in the rebuilding of the country after the war, they would then um, return to Germany. So there wasn't really an integration debate. Really, the kind of the integration debate that we are participating in now is something that has started uh, much more recently, only in the last you know, uh, uh, two decades or so. But in particular, it's taken a turn since the financial crash in 2008 and since the refugee crisis in the summer of 2015. And I think that's the, the immediate background is the context for understanding why there's been such a backlash against Ozil uh, and Gundogan. Uh, you know, the winners from this um, from this event, it's certainly not Mesut Ozil, certainly not the German Football Association. Um, it's hard to see how the only group that you can say that politically that have really won from this is the alternative for Deutschland, the populist uh, nationalist party, which is arguing against European integration, arguing against uh, migration into Germany, and which is trying to say that uh, you know, my, into, the integration of migrants into Germany is is a myth. This can never, this will never happen. Germany should be a, a country, you know, in inverted commas, for the Germans. And, you know, they they're the re, they're, their message has been has been um, the one that um, has sort of hit home loudest in in many places in Germany because they said before the World Cup, you know, this Germany team doesn't represent us. And after the World Cup, in, in the, uh, they, they they continued to they said the same the same thing. And after Ozil issued, issued his statement, you know their 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 attitude was we're grateful to Ozil for showing us that the idea that people can come here and integrate in this country into, into this country is a myth. The, but the idea uh, and, and this notion of say Germany for the Germans that's something that you know I suppose couldn't have been said without setting off huge alarm bells for a long time after the war. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to get at is. To to what extent did that attitude exist, but just wasn't expressed in Germany 
for for maybe a, a few decades and, and now because of those issues you're mentioning maybe people feel that little bit safer in actually coming out mm. and saying it yeah, or, ha- really, or have there actually yeah. been a change it's a it's a really difficult question um it's a really hard one to answer you know opinion polling in the in the 50s if we go back that far says you know about 10 percent of germans think that hitler was the greatest german leader of all time even after you know 1945 and um, there has always been kind of right-wing fringe trying to get popular trying to get votes trying to um, mobilize people around these ideas and but it's always been a fringe it's never been um politically as successful as it is now and that's really important to stress you know but in germany there's a rule it's called the five percent rule a party has to get five percent of the vote to be allowed to take seats in the bundestag that rule was introduced um because on during the weimar republic um, small parties were uh, accused of, of contributing to the destabilization of the republic. So in other words, having 5% rule means you get a more stable democracy. And so the AFD, they got 12.5% at the last election. They're now up to about 16 or 17% in the polls. And um, whether they are mobilizing latent feelings of racism that have always been there, or whether they are shifting people's opinions uh, as a result of the refugee crisis and as a result of the fallout of the refugee crisis, it's a hard one to, it's a very, very, very difficult one to say because, you know, people tend not to say, you know, if you ask someone, why do you, why do you like the AFD? They're not likely to answer with, it's because, you know, I'm really a racist at heart. They're likely to give other, other reasons for this. And, you know, I can give you an example of, of that when I was talking to people during the week about the Ozil, reactions to, to what they thought of the Ozil of, um, a fair, you know, a, a woman on on the train told me, you know, after, uh, you know, a few moments hesitation, she just said, listen, the uh, the, the German football national team has hardly had any Germans in it really for years. You know, is that opinion a new opinion that she had because of uh, the rising acceptability of um, racist and nationalist identity politics? Or was it something that she always thought, you know, only she can really tell us um, what I do think we can trace and show as, as uh, historians and as, as people interested in contemporary politics is that the backlash against this kind of criticism uh, was much stronger in the past. In the 2006 World Cup, similar claims were made and people responded. The response was much more un- unified around the idea that it wasn't acceptable to criticise uh, um, uh, German players as not belonging to Germany because of their racial background. And um, if we think more recently, uh, Jerome Boateng, the Bayern Munich uh, defender and Germany defender, um, the current joint leader of the alternative for Deutschland, Alexander Gauland, uh, he said, um, he said, you know, people are happy to have Boateng in the national team, but they're not happy to have him as a neighbour. Mm. And the response to that comment was really, really strong. You know, you had banners in football stadiums proclaiming people's uh, you know, support for Boateng. You had condemnation of the statement. Um, you had a lot of liberal anger that that statement was made and a lot of anger against Gowland. There's not been that kind of backlash to the uh, Ozil affair. And in, in, in my opinion, I think we are seeing a shift in discourses, a shift in what's permissible to say. And I think this shift is part of a, you know, a re-emergence of a stronger uh, German nationalism that started with the financial crisis of 2008 and the constant media reports of, you know, good Germans bailing out uh, lazy 
and uh, corrupt Greeks and Italians, uh, and then radicalized uh, rapidly post-2015 with the arrival of, you know, up to a million um, uh, my, uh, migrants and refugees in Germany, uh, which is something that was initially welcomed, something that was initially seen as being a chance for Germany to make a, a, a brilliant humanitarian gesture, which it was, and which, you know, was summed up by Angela Merkel's statements when she said, you know, uh, we can do it, wir schaffen das, you know, we can do it, we can integrate, we can take care of these people. But then, kind of quickly, the mood changed. Um, you know, if you think of the incidents of Cologne at the uh, New Year's of 2015, 2016, when women were attacked by um, um, migrants in the vicinity of Cologne Cathedral, that was the starting point in a change in public opinion and a change in media discourses mm. when it became increasingly more um, more common to speak about the re refugees as a threat to uh, order and safety in Germany. There were a couple of high profile cases yeah. um, then that got a lot of media coverage, including the murder of a, of a teenage girl in Freiburg by a refugee who she was helping in a uh, um, refugee center there. And, you know, these, and it's important to say, like, these are only, you know, tiny, tiny numbers of, uh, but these sensationalist, um, these sensationalist events are the ones that frame the way people, uh, way a lot of people think about this and the way yeah. the media thinks about it. Um, I should say, before I get accused of presenting uh, migration in the wrong light, uh, you know, the actual statistics are, are that it's been quite successful. It's been quite a successful story. Most of the migrants who came to Germany in 2015 are now in work. Many have been integrated and there are still uh, millions of Germans engaged in um, working with refugees to help them integrate in German society. But that kind of everyday story doesn't frame the news yeah. the way uh, sensationalist stories do. Um, and so that's kind of changed the way the response to this um this affair has been. And if I can make one final point, you know, yeah. when Germany played Sweden, uh, the Swedish player who gave away the free kick that led to the German winning goal in the last last minute, yeah. um, he was accused of racism. Or, sorry, excuse me. He was, uh, you know, racially abused on online for that. And uh, the Swedish squad responded by, uh, you know, standing around him and saying no to racism. It was a very, very... Um, straightforward message we won't stand for this and the german team has been criticized for not doing the same thing around mesut ozil regardless of what they think about uh, his picture with erdogan there was there there was a moment when they should have said criticize ozil if you will but don't be racist about it that's not acceptable that hasn't happened and i think one of the reasons why that hasn't happened is because of the shifting discourses and because they fear a backlash um, created by the new media climate all right. Well, on that note, Dr. Mark Jones, historian in UCD, as I said, currently based in Berlin. Mark, thanks very much for speaking to us here. On the record, stay with us. We're going to be chatting to Shane Stapleton after the break about yesterday's classic in Croke Park between Galway and Clare. And we'll also be previewing the Cork-Limerick match a little later today.